Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. I lead Faith Christian Center in Austell, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today. I believe today's message will encourage you, inspire you, help you live a life that makes Jesus famous in every area of your life. And as a result of this message, I believe something good is going to happen in your life as you listen and as you apply it. So listen up. Here's today's message. So Acts chapter 5. Verse 14, where we left off, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. We talk about this at the time of great grace. More people are getting saved every single day. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least a shadow of Peter passing might overshadow some of them. So we talked about how there was power flown out of Peter last week and how it was nothing special about Peter's shadow. It was just the power of God was so strong on him, you got in a three-foot radius around him, you got healed. It didn't say Peter was going to do spiritual things or he was going to the temple. It just says if he walked by, you got healed. So he could have been heading to the grocery store. He could be headed doing errands. But if you got three-foot radius of Peter, the power of God came upon you and you were healed. Just like the ministry of Jesus where his power flowed out of him, that if you were to touch Jesus, you'd be healed. But now you see it on another level working in Peter's life. If you got close to him, you were healed. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. So one of the things is you have to understand the enemy does not want this to continue. He doesn't want the word preached, especially if it's preached with anointing, with signs following. He doesn't want people getting saved. He doesn't want people getting healed. He wants to do what he can to stop the move of God. As we saw in chapter 4, he had stirred up members of the Sadducees and the high priest family to come against this Jesus movement. Remember, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our real enemy is not people. There is a spiritual battle. There is a devil and demons who work behind people to cause things to happen. So we see how he tried to limit what they could do by threatening their lives through the high priest and the Sadducees. But that didn't work, as we saw in the weeks prior. They got together, prayed for more boldness, got more boldness, and did more miracles. And then we saw in chapter 5, the enemy couldn't stop them from without. So he says, well, let me try to stop them from within. So we see Satan influences the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. And he tries to corrupt the church from within, but that didn't work. So now we see the church is booming, more people getting saved, more powers manifested, great graces on everybody, great favors on everybody. People are getting saved by the thousands. So Satan tries another tactic. Let's ramp up what I tried before. So you get to verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all they that were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So they are filled with anger. They arrest them and throw them in the common prison in the local jail. Let's just hold them and stop them from preaching because the issue is they're preaching and people listen. So if we get all the preachers and round them up and stop the preachers, if we shut the preacher's mouth, the church can't grow. Notice Satan's plans never change. He's always trying to shut the preacher up. So sometimes he'll try to shut them up through sickness. While you see certain preachers that they have some type of throat cold or cancer or disease come against them. Why? Satan is trying to shut them up or restrict them so the word of God cannot flow. So they say, well, we'll deal with them tomorrow. Let's just put them in the jail. Verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and says, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they went into the temple early in the morning and talked. 
Now, what's very interesting about this? They went to the temple. Who's supposed to be at the temple? All the priests, the high priests, the Sadducees. But they weren't there. Why? But the high priest came, and they that were with them, and called the council together, and all the sin of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and saying, hey, the prison truly we found shut with all safety. Every lock is there. The guards are standing outside the doors. But when we opened the prison door, nobody was there. So notice something about the supernatural delivery that came via the angel. The angel came, opened up the doors, said, everybody go, go preach to the temple. When they walked out, none of the guards saw them. They're walking by the guards. They're out on their posts making sure no one escapes. They can't see 12 dudes walk by. You know, there has to be at least one interesting guy out of the 12. You know, somebody's trying to... And the angel's like, just get out. You know that they, I'm sure they may know. They may have sneaked by, but 12 grown men sneaking by, you're going to see it. And then when they come back to those doors, those doors are locked shut. And so now the high priest and everybody in the council, it says they wonder, they doubted of them where to this would grow. Why? Twelve dudes disappeared. And the jail is locked shut. They're still dealing with the crisis of the last guy who disappeared on them, Jesus. They put him in a tomb. They sealed it with the Roman Empire seal. Hey, he's done. Three days later, the tomb is open. Nobody can move it. But suddenly it's open, and they have to bribe guards saying, hey, don't tell people you saw an angel. Don't tell them these things. They bribed them to keep the story shut. But everybody knows the body of Jesus is gone. Nobody knows where it is. He's disappeared. Now they're thinking, now 12 more people have disappeared who follow this Jesus. We can't stop what they're already doing, but now we can't even find these preachers. Where is it going now? So while they're all considering this and discussing what are we going to do, how are we going to contain it, who's going to call Olivia Pope, what are we going to do to stop this from growing? Verse 25, then came one and told them, hey, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching, in the, teaching the people. But read into this. They are in the temple standing in your spot. Teaching the people. You're supposed to be teaching the people this morning. All you guys gathered together to arrest these guys. You guys are all in one room, but all these 12 guys, now there's not one preaching. All 12 of them are throughout the temple, not just preaching, they are teaching people. So they're instructing them. The angel said the words of this life. So now I'm not talking about Jesus the way. Now this is how you follow Jesus. This is how you get filled with the Holy Ghost. This is how you walk in great grace. They're teaching thousands of people. And they can't be held back by the Sadducees and the priests and the high priests because they ain't there. The temple security ain't there either. They're with the high priest. So they have this unlimited time. Who knows how many hours went by. They're just teaching everybody. And so then the temple security comes, and it said they brought them without violence because they're afraid that if we arrest them violently, the people will stone us. And so when they brought them back to the council, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked, saying, didn't we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Remember chapter 4? They threatened Peter and John. The issue at hand was the name of Jesus. Because the miracle they performed on the lame man, they said, in the name of Jesus. And then they preached to everybody in the temple, faith in that name made this man whole. 
because they pulled them aside and said, what name did you do this in? They said it was the name or the authority of Jesus. So the whole issue of chapter 4 was about the name of Jesus and faith in that name. So they threatened them, don't you use that name? Don't you preach in that name? Don't you teach in that name? Don't use that authority no more. So now, once again, in chapter 5, it's the name. Didn't we tell you don't teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That's what the word doctrine means. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, remember, the high priests aren't used to being talked back to. They're used to people cowering before them. Oh, we're so sorry. But Peter and John didn't do it the first time, and they ain't doing it the second time. They said, we already told you this. They're repeating what they told them the first time. We told you that you decide. Who should we listen to, God or you? So he says, because you couldn't answer that question last time, let me give you the answer. We ought to obey God rather than men. Remember Peter's personality. He's not a quiet dude. He's usually the guy who puts his foot in the mouth. He's the guy who's quick to say something. And so now the Holy Ghost is using that personality, and he's coming at the priest. Didn't we tell you this? How are you confused? We're going to follow God, not you. Then he says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed, whom you hung on a tree. Remember, he's pointing. He's telling him, it's you. Him has God exalted with his right hand. The right hand of God represents his delivering power. They're very familiar with this phraseology. The right hand of God, the power of God, the Holy Ghost raised him up to be prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness, cancellation of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is doing these miracles, signs, and wonders. It's the Holy Ghost who filled them and baptized them. Now, notice they're saying, we are the witnesses. You're used to having religious power. You're used to telling everybody how everything should go. You ain't in charge no more. Not only are we witnessing about this Jesus, the Holy Ghost is giving witness. The Holy Ghost is doing miracle signs and wonders. The Holy Ghost is delivering people. The Holy Ghost is moving. Remember, the whole book is not the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Ghost. These are Holy Ghost-filled men. Whom God has given to them that obey him. Remember who he's talking to. Y'all don't got the Holy Ghost because you don't obey him. Remember, Peter's not saying this quietly. This is not John talking. John might have had some more love and grace on it. It's not one of the others. It's Peter with his provocative style. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart because that was a message directly right at them. They're pricked. They're convicted. But instead of repenting, notice what they did. They began to plan how they could kill them. And do it legally. Because remember, they didn't always have legal power to kill everybody. Sometimes they had to go through Rome. That's why they sent Jesus to Pilate. So now they're strategizing, how do we kill all 12 people? It wasn't that long ago, though, we went to Pilate to kill Jesus. And we know all the things that happened with that. So how can we kill these 12? 
Then stood up there one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and he commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So one of these guys stands up and says, hey, take these 12 guys out of the room. Let me talk. So let me give some more definitions before we go forward. Remember, the Sadducees have been behind the arrest of the apostles to this point. As we said before, the Sadducees were a group of religious Jews who did not believe in the resurrection, in spirits or angels. This group had political power as well. The Sadducees didn't like the message because they preached that God raised Jesus from the dead, and through Jesus there was resurrection from the dead. A commentary I read says, of the three major sects of Judaism of that day, Pharisees, Essenes, and Sadducees, the Sadducees were a small but influential group that philosophically denied the supernatural and gravitated instead toward the political control of the people. Now, the Pharisees differed from the Sadducees chiefly in its strict observance of religious ceremonies and practices, adherence to oral laws and traditions, and belief in an afterlife, spirits, angels, and the coming of a Messiah. So they have doctrinal differences. They believe different things. So one of the things you see about the Pharisees, they do believe the law. They believe everything the law said. The law says it's angels, so they believed it. The law says it's a resurrection, they believe it. But they also believe in traditions. So one of the things you'll see when you study Judaism, that outside of what you already see in the law or in the Old Testament, there were certain things, traditions that were passed down. And so they followed the traditions because the traditions were passed down by the people they respect. But Jesus checked them on their traditions and said, hey, your traditions is making the power of God of none effect. Because you follow your traditions instead of what the Holy Ghost said. So while they had some positives, they also had some great negatives. But this Gamaliel who stands up is a Pharisee. He has a, he is held a reputation, meaning everybody respects him. Whether they're Sadducees or Pharisees or none of these groups, everybody respects him. He is a teacher of the law, a highly regarded teacher of the law, and one of the best of that time. Verse 35. Notice what Gamaliel said. You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves, pay attention, what you intend to do as touching these men. Now he gives them a lesson in current events. For behold, these, before these days rose up Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. He says there was this dude before. He said he was this big shot. 400 dudes followed him. He died. Everybody scattered. After this man, up, after this man rose up Judas of Galilee and the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also died. And all, even as obeyed him, were dispersed. So he says, this dude rose up. He died. Everybody who followed him scattered. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. Leave these guys alone. Don't mess with them. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it'll come to nothing. They'll just be like Judas and Judas. They'll get up. They'll say they're these big shots. But if it doesn't turn out to be God, it'll become nothing. But notice what it says here. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. So he says, you need to leave these 12 dudes alone. Let them teach, let them preach, let them do what they do. Because if you keep fighting them and they just happen to be right, they just happen to be on the side of God, you're not fighting these 12 dudes. You're fighting God. So this is what the most respected teacher 
is saying in the whole Sanhedrin council. The Sadducees wanted these guys dead, but the chief Pharisee says, nah, we ain't doing this. And the Pharisees have enough voting power to stop the plan of the Sadducees. And to him, they agree. They say, okay, we are not going to restrain them. We're not going to kill them. But they called the apostles in, and they beat them. So the Pharisee says, leave them alone. The Sadducee says, no, we're going to punish them because they didn't listen to us. We won't kill them to appease you Pharisees. But we're still going to beat them because they disobeyed us, and they used that name. So they beat them. They whipped them. And they commanded them again not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Some people believe they beat them and whipped them for the sake of public face. Because remember, this is a political organization. This is a group of individuals who disobeyed the high priest and kept doing it. So this, pers- this punishment may be to save face or maybe it's to scare them away. So notice how the level of persecution increased. There is persecution of people talking about you. There is persecution of imprisonment. There is a persecution of threatening. But now there is a physical assault on the 12 apostles. A lot of people, when they're persecuted for the sake of Jesus, they go, I just don't know what I'm going to do. God, I was serving you, and these people didn't like me. They talked about me. They did this. They did that. They, you know, they subtweeted about me. And then, you know, they unfriended me and all this other stuff, and they get all depressed and sad. But notice what these 12 dudes did after they were beaten, after they took the clothes off of their backs and whipped them. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. So you know the high priest and all this crews are still confused. They're used to beating people and them going, oh, we're so sorry. This word rejoices, oh, it must mean something deep in the Greek. It means cheerful. It means full of joy. They're rejoicing. They're leaving. They're bleeding. Oh, Father, we thank you. What? Why were they rejoicing? That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They took the persecution as a badge of honor. Instead of being ashamed that people turned against them, the people beat them, because the whipping, the beating, was a form of shame. It was a form of public censure. It was a form of the government saying, no, you're wrong. Instead of them taking it like that, they said, because Jesus told them they're going to run into this. So they said, hey, we thank you that we are worthy to bear this badge. It's a different mentality. See, some people want to quit just because they run into a rough time. Instead of quitting, they just begin to thank God in the midst of the situation. It's an attitude. It's a perspective. So they said, well, what do they do next? And daily in the temple. So what do they do the next day? They went right back to the temple. And in every house... They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They couldn't scare them. They beat them. They didn't stop. They just kept going. And remember, Gabriel said, leave these dudes alone. So then you get to chapter 6, verse 1. Remember, the enemy, Satan, not, not the high priest, not the Sadducees, not the Pharisees. The enemy is Satan. He says, well, I tried once again to stop them from the outside. Let me try to stop them from the inside. Chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, what days? The days when they were threatened, the days when they were beaten. 
when the number of the disciples was multiplied. So although they were threatened, beaten, everybody knows those 12 were beaten and censored by the government. They began to increase even more. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Satan's attempt to stop the church through another level of persecution failed. So once again, he tries from within. The word murmuring means grumbling. So these are a group of people grumbling. Grecians are Hellenist or Greek-speaking Jews. These are those who are born outside of Israel, and maybe they grew up outside of Israel. This group could include those who were, who were other pagans, and they became Jewish. They became the followers of Judaism. So what happens is there are those who were born outside of Israel in the church, and in the church is also those who were born within Israel. Those who were born outside, they may speak a little bit Hebrew, but that's not their main language. They speak Greek. So there's differences between how they may have been raised and how they communicate versus those who grew up in Jerusalem and Judea. So there's two different groups within the early church. And so it wasn't just that there's two different groups, but now remember we looked at chapter 2 and through chapter 5 how there was a move of great grace and a move of the Holy Ghost that caused people to take extra they have and give. Now, this wasn't to give so that everybody in church can live off of this one pot. Because remember, the Bible does not endorse communism or socialism. We proved that in the previous weeks. What was this given for? Those who didn't have enough. These were for widows who were without. But they had this large pot to give from them because the people were moved by great grace to give. But in the daily giving out of what people needed, the, those Jews who were born in Jerusalem and Judea were treated better than those who were born without. Preferential treatment was given to those who were born in Jerusalem than those who were without. So instead of appreciating their differences of experiences, Satan takes their differences and calls them to turn on one another. And now there's a grumbling, this murmuring arising. See, there's nothing new under the sun. See, whether he's going to use racism classism, or any other ism, he'll use it for the purpose of dividing God's people. So Satan using racism to divide the church is not new. It's he's trying it from the very beginning. So he tries to stop the church. He says, I can't do persecution, so let me come in and cause them to fight each other. So verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude, these are thousands of people, of disciples unto them and said, Look, it doesn't make sense for us to leave the word of God from studying the word and teaching the word to serve tables. Because the twelve of us will not overlook somebody because they were born somewhere else. It doesn't make sense for us to do that. Wherefore, you pick out seven men of honest report. They're full of the Holy Ghost, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, one of the things you see here, when it says the word serve for serve tables, it comes from the Greek word where we get the word deacon. So this is the first mission of the deacon in the New Testament. The word serve here means to use the office of the deacon. It simply just means to serve. So he says, let's pick 
seven guys to serve and put them over this business. Now, it didn't say put them over the business of the church. It says put them over this business. What is this business? The business of serving. So the issue arose, and they said, hey, who's going to do this? Let's pick seven dudes who are full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, who have a good report among everybody, and let them fulfill this area of assignment. So one of the things you see throughout the Bible, there are times when God will single out an individual to do an assignment. There'll be times when the man or woman of God will pick someone else to do an assignment. But there are other times where the Holy Ghost allows, hey, y'all vote. And whoever you pick, I'll anoint. And so you have this, the 12 men of God says, hey, y'all pick somebody. And then we'll lay our hands on them. And so the saying, please, the whole multitude, because the apostle says, we're not going to leave prayer and the ministry of the word. So the chief job you see of these ministry gifts were to spend time in prayer and to minister the word. But if they were to stop that to serve tables, then their effectiveness as apostles would go down. So what do they do? They asked them to pick out some more people who can take up 2% of the time. I love that point on Sunday. 2% of the time to serve. So they picked these seven people, and they picked Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, we'll read about later, and Philip, we'll read more about him later, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, we'll talk about him probably later, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Why? So they could serve. This is the beginning of the ministry of helps or the team faith of the church of Jerusalem. This is where it begins. And what is the result? And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Why did the word increase? Why did the number of people being saved and growing in God multiply? They put an end to the division, and people stepped up to serve, which means this wouldn't have happened if the division continued and people didn't serve. So remember, it was a time of great grace. The great grace was moving, but it came to a halt when people became divided and fighting among each other. But it continued when division was put down, and people stepped up and said, hey, we're going to do our part. And then more people got saved. More people started growing in God. And then it says a great number of the priests. Why is that important? Remember, the priest had been resisting them. This is a group of people that weren't following them. These were, might have been people you would call their enemies. But every day they're teaching in the temple. Every day they're preaching in the temple. Who's in the temple? The priest. And they one by one, two by two, then by large numbers start following Jesus. Why? The division had been put down. People stepped up to serve, and the move of the Holy Ghost continued. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, notice it wasn't Apostle Stephen. It wasn't Pastor Stephen. It wasn't Preacher Stephen. This is Deacon Stephen. He's a member of Team Faith. He's a member of the Ministry of Helps. He wasn't preaching in the pulpit. But he did miracles, signs, and wonders, which lets you know it's not the title. 
that backs up miracle signs and wonders? It's the Holy Ghost. Stephen, a member of Team Faith, was full of a Holy Ghost. So he did miracle signs and wonders. So that means if I on Sunday can do miracle signs and wonders, why can't you? The qualification is to be full of the Holy Ghost. And that means you get full of the Holy Ghost and you put yourself in a position where he can use you. You have to be willing to step out. Hey, can I pray for you? Well, pastor, what if they say no? Well, then don't pray for them. Well, pastor, what if they say yes? Then pray for them. Well, what if nothing happens? Well, what if something does? Step out there. Let God use you. You'll never know what happens until you step out. And once it keeps happening, you'll be addicted to it. You'll be looking for someone to pray for. Oh, come on, Holy Ghost, what do you want to use me to do today? He wants to move through you, not just a few super spiritual people. And then we'll get into this next week. We see another level of persecution rises up in the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7 and going into chapter 8. Now, one of the things you'll see would open the door to this persecution. It wasn't just the attack of the enemy. Remember the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's go there and we'll conclude here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Are they doing it? Yeah. They are being witnesses in Jerusalem. But the command of Jesus doesn't end there. And in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus told them, don't you all stay in Jerusalem. You keep going and spread this message everywhere. They were half obedient, which means they were disobedient. Which means the door is now opening for the enemy to come in. There was a time where they are supposed to stay in Jerusalem and gather. Now, one of the things you just read through chapters, you get to chapter 6, you think, oh, this has been a few months. No, it's been a couple years now. Nobody left. Everybody wanted to stay in Jerusalem. You can't blame them, but everybody stayed in Jerusalem. God is moving. But God wanted them to move outside of their comfort zones. God wanted them to take this word to the ends of the earth. But they all stayed in one spot. They were full of the Holy Ghost. They were people, but they're disobedient. So the door opens for the enemy to bring in greater persecution, which causes them to scatter. Now, after they scatter, they go fulfill the word of God. Well, we're scattered. We can't stay in Jerusalem anymore. Well, let's preach wherever we go. So the will of God still came to pass, but it didn't have to happen that way. The way this persecution got to this level was because they were disobedient. They left the door open to the enemy. You know, people can complain about someone robbing the house, but if you leave the door open and every window open, every garage door open, and you turn off your alarm, no wonder your TV's gone when you come home. You left the door open. And this church left the door open. And the enemy could come in and begin to cause havoc. But the church got back on mission. And as we'll see in a few weeks as we get there, they kept praying. And God took their number one enemy and made him the number one missionary. See that nothing's too hard for God. He may say, oh, it's too impossible for that person to get saved. Stop saying that. You got saved. 
One of the things that we said as we read through the book of Acts, these weren't perfect people. There's only one perfect person in the Bible. His name is Jesus. This was a group of people trying to figure it out, sometimes by trial and error. And so they learned from this, and it kept increasing. So as we keep going through this, remember, the same Holy Ghost that Peter had, the same Holy Ghost that John had, the same Holy Ghost that James had, the same Holy Ghost that Stephen had, yes, the same Holy Ghost that Jesus had, is who you have. He lives within you. He rests upon you. And he wants to use you to do miracles, signs, and wonders and reap in great harvest in this year of abundant harvest. Amen? Stand to your feet. Glory to God. Hallelujah to Jesus. Let's lift our hands for a moment before we dismiss. Check your heart. Are there areas that you haven't fully obeyed God in? Big, small, areas where you've been disobedient. I'm not saying you're backslidden. I'm not saying you're not slaved. But there might be some doors you've opened. If that's you, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to close those doors. And ask for wisdom and boldness to do everything he wants you to do, whether you're in this room or watching online. Make a decision right now to give God your full yes. And after you do that, ask him to use your miracle signs and wonders. Because to the degree you hunger for it will be to the degree you'll see it manifest in your life. If he tells you to do something, you just say, yes, I'll do it. Then write it down in your phone or your notebook or your Bible. And make sure you do it later. Don't go, well, I don't know how I'm going to do it. It's not your job to figure out how. Just give him your yes. He'll teach you the how. He's not asking you to figure it out by yourself. He's not even asking you to do it yourself. He's asking you for a yes right now. It's not even a deep yes. He's just asking for yes. So, well, Pastor... The yes I give, it's kind of a whisper. I'm kind of scared to say yes. Just say yes. He's not asking you to be super bold and yell out yes. He's just asking you to give him your yes. And after you do that, he'll give you the boldness and the strength and the anointing and the power and the grace you need. Just give him your yes. Just give him your yes. He's looking for your yes. Gino, if you could just sing yes. He's looking for your yes today. That's all he's looking for.
Hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Connect with us on social media. Our handle is at WeAreFaithATL. Follow us online at FCCGA.com. If you want to support the ministry financially, you can text FCCGA to 73256 or give online. But most importantly, we never want to close a broadcast without giving you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you never pray this prayer, repeat after me. Meet it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, we believe you've been born again. So if you pray that prayer, let us know by connecting with us online or emailing us at info at FCCGA.com. Once again, thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.